This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 27th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. When Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell make a stock trade, you may wonder if they've got information you don't, and then we're able to cash in on it. Now Congress is poised to limit congressional stock trading. Cato's Jennifer Shelp discusses the many ways that members of Congress may enrich themselves that have nothing to do with publicly traded companies, and why transparency is a better treatment than a blanket ban. We spoke yesterday. First, if you don't mind, just characterize how this issue is presented in general and and your quibbles with how it's presented. The issue in general is presented as members of Congress are engaging in insider trading to enrich themselves, that they're getting information as part of their jobs as representatives, and they are taking advantage of that information to make moves in the stock market before the general public learns about it. I have a quibble with that because there's little evidence that there is actual a lot of actual insider trading going on in Congress. Uh, There was a study that came out looking at relatively recent trading that shows that members of Congress, on average, don't do better than your average Joe in picking stocks. Um, In fact, they tend to do slightly worse. But that doesn't mean there's not a problem. Um, because insider trading is a very specific, narrowly defined, well, maybe not as narrowly as I'd like it to be defined, um, legal definition as to misuse of information. But it's entirely possible that Congress is still misusing information in an unethical manner to enrich themselves with information they're learning in their official job duties. And that's an ethical consideration. Um, whether they're engaging in conflicts of interests that fall outside of the insider trading definition itself. Now, if you look at there are uh, there's a Twitter account that just posts uh, Nancy Pelosi's trades again, weeks following those trades. Uh, and some of them have, you know, a, a, what appears to be on its face, a pretty strong relationship uh, with legislation that the House may be considering. Uh, and quite often it just looks like uh, these trades, and you know, I don't want to leave other people out. There are several members of Congress who uh, are either chairs of the committees or head of a political party in the U.S. Senate whose net worths have dramatically expanded since uh, they've been in office. So at least optically, it looks really, really bad. What should people understand about this uh, process of allowing members of Congress to be regular market participants uh, like the rest of us? Yes. Facially, the optics are terrible. Um, Members of Congress, you know, there's stories that come out much more often than they should that show that certain members of Congress may be enriching themselves at the public's expense. And we see the balance sheets of individual members of Congress grow over time while they're in office. Um, That's a problem. But that's not a problem that's limited to stock trading. Um, Members of Congress can use their position of power or their information that they've learned in their roles to enrich themselves in any number of ways, private market transactions, real estate transactions, um, really (laughs) book deals, speaking deals, you name it. And moving from 
you know, banning stock trading does not do anything to change any of these other types of potential self-dealing situations, um, say that we already deal with on the basis of disclosure. Um, members of Congress have to give a relatively extensive disclosure on an annual basis about their investments, whether those investments are publicly traded stocks or not. There is a broader issue here, and it's one that I've talked about a few times many years ago uh, on uh, this podcast, and that is the the notion of insider non-trading, right? That is That is not buying something or not selling something can also be the product of uh, insider information, and that is not regulated at all, and it, it, it would be almost impossible to regulate it. Yeah, nor do I think we should be regulating it. Um, I think the there's a broader issue here, too, when we talk about kind of the, the broader ethical concerns that members of Congress have not only access to information, but they have the ability to move the markets as well um, or move the policy position as it relates to any particular area or company itself. And some of the solutions being proposed to insider trading or to to congressional trading is to allow members of Congress to invest in broad-based index funds or mutual funds. Well, members of Congress are privy to information about the broad direction of how the economy is moving as well. Um, In fact, some of the uh, alleged uh, ethical violations back in 2020 for some members of Congress had to do with trading in these broad-based investments when they knew that COVID was coming. So, it's it's far from a complete solution to say that members of Congress shouldn't be able to hold individual stocks and they should invest in index funds instead. And what's important here is that I think there's been a lot of focus on the potential benefit to keeping members of Congress out of the stock market. And I think there's an undeniable benefit there. It shuts off an access. You, you see that there's potential, little potential for trading if they're not allowed to trade. But there's also costs. And those costs shouldn't be overlooked, um, particularly when, say, given all of the other avenues for personal enrichment, banning members of Congress from trading in stocks might not have much benefit. You know, it's interesting when you have uh, our most recent former president being somebody who owns on paper a lot of property uh, and was a businessman. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, also somebody like Daryl Issa, who was very wealthy uh, member of Congress, who, you know, had, you know, his his thumbs in lots of pies uh, business wise and was very wealthy. It's it's weird to think that whether or not you like those members of Congress uh, to think that there's a whole category of people who just simply would view it as untenable to run for Congress, given uh, a requirement that they uh, put all of their assets into some sort of blind trust or behave in ways that, uh, you know, a a lower income of somebody with with less wealth would be better situated to run. Yeah, and I think there's been a lot of focus on that type of individual and how it might hurt them. 
What I'll say is I'm less concerned about the derelices of the world who can pretty easily afford to put their investments in a blind trust for a few years or can structure their investments in a way that that complies with these rules. Um, what I'm more concerned about are kind of your more average individual, someone who worked for a company for a number of years and got a stock grant as part of their employment and would have to divest that in order to run for Congress. And they might be of modest means. Um, we're looking at a, an increase in participation in the stock market by younger uh, younger people, more underrepresented minorities are participating in the stock market, and they might not be willing to step out of that participation in order to run for Congress. And as a side note, we haven't seen the text that the House wants to propose on the bill, but it, the framework said it's going to cover cryptocurrencies. Um, you got to look at the devil's going to be in the details on that. But preventing folks from holding crypto when they're running for Congress might actually prevent them from participating in the crypto economy, which is a much bigger problem than simply saying you can't hold an individual stock. So there are costs to a ban here um, that that routinely get overlooked when we're just looking at the benefits. Um, I think a lot of the benefits here can be achieved by increasing transparency and increasing accountability. Um, the framework that's been proposed by the House has a number of ways to do that. Again, the devil's in the details, but I, I'm supportive of increasing transparency and holding lawmakers accountable so that elected so that the voter can decide whether their elected representative is um, acting in their best interests. What, what what might that transparency look like? Because uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you look at the this the on Twitter when and I check it every once in a while. You know what's what's Nancy Pelosi trading these days, or you know thirty days ago, um, and it, it it strikes me that would voters be better off with an instantaneous uh, some sort of instantaneous. Uh, disclosure or that sort of thing? Yeah, I think they would be. Um, and I think it's important to start with the fact that, that you know what Nancy Pelosi's husband is trading because of the laws that are already on the books. Um, the 2012 Stock Act required those types of disclosures and is what makes the conversations that we're having now about whether members of Congress are behaving ethically possible. Um, the Stock Act has not been particularly well complied with, um, which was one of the, the beginning of the current push for this type of legislation, was pointing out that, that members of Congress have a terrible track record in complying with the requirements of the Stock Act to disclose their trades. Um, and as it stands, the Stock Act gives them an awful lot of time to do so. Um, it's 2022. You don't need 30 days to be able to tell someone what you've traded in. The types of accountability that I'm in favor of are dramatically shortening that time period. I'd be in favor of a very short time period. It's just a question of what's technically possible. Um, and just say instantaneous 
likely requires a little bit more um, technology, and I'm just not sure where Congress stands on being able to get that done. But the the number of days between a trade and public disclosure should be dramatically shortened. Um, there should also be say very clear accountability for failure to make those disclosures. Um, members should be called out publicly. Um, when they fail, they should be fined significantly, and those fines should actually happen, which had not been happening under the Stock Act. So there, there's a number of things that can be done there, I think, that really have turbocharged the type of disclosure that's happening now, which brings this all into the light. Jennifer Shelp directs financial regulation studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.